What up, it's your boy, the Mark Rob, aka Sean Matt Love, aka Gordon Darks, aka Pacey Twitter, aka Four Eye Willie, coming at you with a new episode of We Should Do This Again Sometime. Right now, you're kind of catching me at a live point of me editing the episode that will be released. One of the things that I typically do when I'm editing episodes. Maybe I'll just do like a random YouTube video to kind of play in the background and sort of eye candy while I'm actually trying to focus on the episode. One of the YouTube algorithm recommended videos was Cisco and Ebert's best and worst of 1978 movies uh, when they had their PBS show at the movies. This episode was recorded sometime in December of 78. And before I played this YouTube video, I was editing this episode for the Suicide Squad, and immediately off the bat, I'm going to step on the episode a little bit, but I'm immediately kind of not (laughs) into Suicide Squad at all. Then I threw on the Siskel and Ebert episode, and this clip that I'm about to play now, it kind of stood out in a very big way. So I could not not leave it out of this episode to kind of set up the forthcoming episode. It is pretty amazing how time is definitely a flat circle and how in 1978, these two guys predicted FOMO. (laughs) I mean, it's super kind of eye-opening how their fears of what kind of Hollywood would potentially play into is now kind of what we're sort of experiencing with 2021 releases. So check out the clip. Enjoy the gods. Enjoy the episode afterwards. Peace. Well, that's a sweet scene, but give it a moment's thought, Gene. Now, 10 years ago with Bonnie and Clyde, Warren Beatty correctly predicted our developing national concern with violence. And a decade ago, we were into serious subjects, but I'll bet Heaven Can Wait would have been dismissed by filmgoers then. Yet, same time, in 1978, it seem to satisfy some sort of hunger we've been developing for sweetness and light and romance. I talked to him about the film. He uh-huh. said he was thinking about making two other more serious pictures, had trouble with the projects, and decided finally, he said, I'm going to make a picture I want to see. And maybe that's the signature for the whole year. Pictures that people obviously want to so. see. Maybe so. Maybe 1978 had less in common with 68 than with 28 and 38. The old motto, give the people what they want. Now, Ten years ago, filmmakers were making films about things that they ought to, they thought ought to be explored, with thoughts that they wanted to uh, explore and lessons that they wanted to teach. And that wasn't the case this year. It was more of a genre year, musicals, science fiction, entertainment pictures. I heard one good explanation for why we got all these lighthearted pictures. It came from the director of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, science fiction film, Phil Kaufman. He uh, told me he thinks that people are simply bored with everyday life, with their jobs, everything. They don't want to see anything remotely related to this earth so we get the science fiction films that take us out of space and also greece which is comes out of nowhere i don't know uh, you know we were talking three or four years ago there was a truism the musical is dead mm-hmm. last year's picture was a musical the biggest picture of the year greece and also if you look back at the other top grocers of the year there were holdovers from the year before 1977 you had star wars close encounters of the third kind another musical saturday night fever and these are all kind of in an old basic hollywood tradition one thing that concerns me as a film critic and probably you too is are we ever going to get serious pictures? Are these blockbusters going to crowd us out? Uh, I hope not. I mean, I hope that uh, the Hollywood chieftains don't look at the gross of these pictures and say, hey, I'm just going to play it light. No more little pictures, because one of the things that bothers me is this uh, mass kind of limbing syndrome 
of the movie going public, they feel that they have to see a picture of everybody else has seen it. It's almost like people went to see Star Wars or they went to see Saturday Night Fever or Grease or Jaws 2 because everybody else had, you know, don't be the last one on your block. And at the same time, they were missing out on some other very good Yeah, pictures. I mean, we're not saying don't go to see a picture that everyone wants to see, but it's you got to take a chance or the small picture is going to get crowded out and in 1979 we both know there's some big films specifically about vietnam one called the deer hunter and apocalypse now these are big serious pictures if they get blasted out we'll never see another film with ideas again that may be a bit extreme but let's hope it doesn't come true because some of the films we like best last year were the serious ones that did have some ideas so let's go on from the box office favorites of the public to some of our own favorite movies of 1978 now Suicide Squad on right now, and uh, did anybody think to check if Weasel could swim? Just happened. Oh, jeez. And <laughs> I hate that that was maybe my favorite moment of the movie, and it happened in the first. I mean, first what five fucking minutes? Like, I I think oof. I liked this movie more than you did. Oh, you definitely did. Uh... But it had the problem that I think a lot of these movies have where they easily could have cut half an hour, 40 minutes. And I think it, I would have liked it just as much. Man, I'm not even going to lie, man. I I didn't have any buy-in. I could not buy in. What's the plan? What the hell am I supposed to know? You're the leader. You're supposed to be decisive. And I've decided that you should eat a big bag of dicks. If this whole beach was completely covered in dicks, and somebody said I'd eat every dick until the beach was clean for liberty, I would say no problem. Why would someone put penises all over the beach? Who knows why madmen do what they do? Like, I laughed four fucking times the entire movie. Oh, I... I laughed a lot, partially because I hated the first one so much. So watching like the entire returning cast of the first one, except Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg get gunned down immediately. was pretty great. <laughs> watching Pete Davidson get his face blown off. Hilarious. Oh, I know a lot of people appreciated that. The creme de la creme. Truly. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I bought in until maybe 20, 30 minutes. It took a while. Ooh, I thought it was funny before then, but I didn't really buy in. Yeah, that's still a long time, though. Like It is. But also, I did sit through the whole first one. I've sat through yeah. most of these embarrassingly bad DC boondoggles. <laughs> You're a better man than me, Kat. And I sat through Black Widow, and I, like, I, I'm at the point now where at least, at least I feel like this movie tried some things. <sighs> I wanted to talk about Black Widow, too, because I think my overall problem with these movies is just the suction that it does for other great actors. Like, I'm sad that Florence Pugh was the best part of Black Widow because now she's immediately going to be ingrained in the MCU and whatever movie, whatever TV show she's going to be integrated in, that's now going to be her thing. And so is she going to be sacrificing better roles for this Marvel shit now? Okay, but here's the thing, right? 
And like, this is just me being honest here. If I were an actor or an actress and I got a chance to do a Marvel role, I'm fucking taking it because even if I never work again after that, I would be set for life. Acting is a job and it is a business. And also if she's smart, which it seems like she is, she probably wouldn't sign on to a ridiculous, ridiculous contract because she wants to be able to make Midsummer and Little Women and whatever her next project is going to be. But if I had a chance to make sure that I had a meal ticket and insurance forever, like, fuck yeah, I'm taking it. I'm not against people making money. I do think, though, that for whatever kind of bullshit loyalty that I have to just art itself, that part of me is just kind of grossed out by everything. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that in theory, but like in practice, I think it's Idris Elba who like has some quote that's like, the only good actor is a working actor. You take every job you can. And like, we all agree that Idris Elba is a pretty good actor, right? When he's not doing an American accent, but yeah. But he's a really good actor. He's incredibly good looking. He's very talented. He's got very, like, a very commanding presence. And he was Heimdall in four movies for no fucking reason, really, except money and to keep the crafts sharp and to keep the resume built. But, I mean, I would say, though, that even the shit with Thor, like, he's not doing what Florence Pugh or in this, in Suicide Squad, People are saying John Cena is the best actor in this. I think Margot Robbie is the best actor in this entire movie. But then it's like, is Margot Robbie's career going to... I mean, her career is going to be defined by Harley Quinn. But I think she has way more to give than just this one role that I feel like everything else that she's done and could potentially do is going to get derailed by this one role, if that makes sense. Yeah, I also trust her to make her own choices at the end of the day this is choices yeah i don't know. I like them though <laughs> yeah but they're no, not, they're I, not I your you. choices no um, i i i totally 100 get that and also and i agree also i'm sorry if you signed on to a movie like the first suicide squad let's just say right and then they're like hey we want to give you your own movie where you can do a little bit more of your own thing and you can really get to start to know this character as like a character, right? And then you get another opportunity to deepen that character, even if it is a comic book character, right? I don't know how many actors get the opportunity to revisit and add depth to a performance they maybe weren't proud of. And I imagine that must be a really, or even that they were proud of, I imagine that must be a really interesting challenge to figure out what new thing you're bringing to Harley Quinn each time or what new thing you're bringing to Captain America each time. You have a lot of ability to that point. I agree with that. Because for me, as someone who loves the character of Harley Quinn in the comics, she finally felt like Harley Quinn in this movie. The fact that she and Rick Flagg are friends, they don't necessarily like ideologically line up, but they, they respect each other and they're friends. And the fact that she rescues herself from this badass thing, but there's flowers everywhere and she's a little bit delusional and loopy the whole time. And then she she comes running around the corner with that javelin and they're like, oh, we were going to rescue you. It was really good. And her immediate response is to be so flattered that they thought to rescue her that she offers to let them do it. Yeah. 
She gives them a big hug because they're friends. And then she goes, oh, I'm sure it was really good. I can go back up there and you can do it if you want. Because like she is not evil. She makes a lot of bad decisions because she's a chaotic, neutral character. But she does care about people. She does care about her friends. She does want them all to survive. She does when they're like, just leave the fucking leave Starro to destroy everybody. She's like, no, no, no. You know, she gets to bring this depth that she didn't even really have in in Birds of Prey, where we Ooh. get to see her start to start to blossom a little bit more as a not just I care about this one kid because she's a punk like me, but starting to have a little bit of empathy for further outside of herself while also being that kind of chaotic clown character. I enjoy Birds of Prey better, but at the same time. I would agree that this is like the defining kind of Harley Quinn performance. Yeah. And I mean, in Harley and Birds of Prey, like, yeah, she has to do more. Obviously, she's the center of the movie. I think mm-hmm. that comes with kind of different challenges. I, I still think uh, Birds of Prey is three and a half out of five movie. But I think for this role, because she doesn't have to do as much. She's really found her lane as to, you know what? I may have a scene right now. I may not get another scene for another five to 10 minutes, but I'm going to be putting up a total fucking flamethrower. And then I'm going to steal every single scene that I'm in. And you motherfuckers can't do anything about it. Be sent to Jotunheim to feed the beast. I'm sorry. Recently, I made a promise to myself that the next time I got a boyfriend, I'd be on the lookout for red flags. And if I saw any, I would do the healthy thing. And I would murder him. And killing kids, kind of a red flag. A lot of the other actors are doing that too. Like that's the thing that I kind of like about this movie and that I feel that the other movie was lacking in a lot of ways. So walk me through the original Suicide Squad. Well, not not necessarily like a total run through of the movie, but what was the bad parts of that movie that basically led to this new movie being created? What makes me want to get close to someone and snuggle? Fear. Salutations. I'm Melisette. And on A Frightful Fret with Melisette, I read classic horror stories combining audiobooks and audio drama into a podcast. Come away with me into the darkness and let me make your ears tingle with a sensation of terror. A Frightful Fret with Melisette. Available everywhere podcasts are and find us at ourfrightfulfret.net. Don't forget. To start with, it's a prison and it opens with the house of the rising sun. I'm just going to, we're just going <laughs> to like, uh, seriously, that's the level of depth that movie has. I really like, I need you to understand oh, that, that that is it. It is as deep as your average spoon. So it starts with the house of the rising sun. It's Amanda Wall. You see everybody in their little prison cells doing whatever, right? Viola Davis, Amanda Waller's got a notebook and she's like, hey, there's like this problem. So we should send all these convicts because it's like not a big enough deal for the Justice League, except it totally fucking is. Like, that's the other problem. She's like, it's not like in the comics, right? The Suicide Squad are there to clean up specifically government messes 
that the good guys could not be bought off to not talk about. Okay. And right away, we realize this is a Justice League level threat that they're sending like a clown, a crocodile person, uh, a a guy who can make fire but doesn't want to because he killed his whole family and he feels really bad about it. But that's only explained in like the last 20 minutes of the movie before he kills himself and Rick Flagg and Will Smith. Not playing any character, just Will Smith. Um, if we be very honest, Will Smith stopped playing characters a long time ago. <laughs> um, and they're all introduced in like weird individual montages. I don't know if you've seen that meme that was like she was fiercer and crazier than him. She was her queen. That was about Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. It's okay. all told through like weird narration. You get to see Batman punch a woman in the face the fuck yeah (laughs) jesus christ 40 minutes is all these little intro vignettes which already like by the time we actually get to stuff is like oh my god can the movie start now please (laughs) so the movie is finally starting harley quinn has to get naked in front of all the male guards because she has to change her clothes because women are basically objects (laughs) so not only is it like 45 minutes before anything actually starts When things start, it's so physically dark, you can't see what's happening. And also, they keep having to, Rick Flagg keeps being like, why aren't you doing what I say? And they're like, we're the bad guys, remember? And like, Jai Courtney wants to fuck a plush unicorn. It's all very weird. And like, I feel like it could have worked. I don't know whose fault this was, right? Because like, David Ayer is like, this is not the movie I tried to make at all. And like, if I could renounce the Suicide Squad movie because it was destroyed by the studio, I would. And they knew that it didn't work, right? I think it's the lowest rated superhero movie of all time. <laughs> um, it has to be higher than like, I don't know, some some other wild Incredible Hulk has to be higher than that. I think it's at like 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Jesus uh. Christ. Quick note. The original Suicide Squad is actually not the lowest rated superhero movie ever. There are a couple of stinkers here that I'll run through super quickly. Tied for last at 9% is the 2015 version of Fantastic Four, 2004's Catwoman, and 1984's Supergirl. <laughs> Tied for Silver, three movies, 2005's Elektra, 1996 The Crow City of Angels, and Superman 4 at 11% and taking a bronze. I'm sorry, cat to say this. <laughs> 1997's Batman and Robin at 12%. All right, everyone. Chill. 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 Suicide Squad is rated 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. But also, it was really popular with the Hot Topic set. One thing I will say in its favor is it did have a really distinct aesthetic. I don't think it was a good aesthetic, but it was a very distinct aesthetic. It had a really interesting color when you could see it, which wasn't often. But, like, it took too long to start. And then it it just kind of... It, it didn't... Why did you send them for a Justice League level threat you need the justice league not these fucking people and it it just never really recovered from that 
They never really came together as a team. They ended up getting irresponsibly drunk and kind of saving the day by accident. And to me, it never it never landed. And I thought most of those characters deserved better. And I think that DC knew that most of those characters deserved better. And also that there was probably a better mix of characters somewhere in there. And you know who's really good at making movies about ragtag teams of weirdos that Ooh. has a strong pop culture inspired soundtrack? Who? Recent, recently laid off by Marvel because he made a bad take 10 years ago, James Gunn. So James Gunn goes, I want complete creative control. And they say, great, whatever you want. So he j- jumps in immediately, right? And I think. Even though I don't think that this is a great movie, I had a really good time watching it. I would pro- I'm probably going to watch it again. I kind of have it on in the background right now. At least Suicide Squad, as in Suicide Squad, you know, from 2016 or whatever, felt like it was made by a boardroom. It was a group of white men who had a chart about what the kids these days are into. And they tried to make a movie about that. And... This movie feels like James Gunn read a bunch of comics and went, oh boy, I get to play with all my favorite action figures in this big old sandbox. And my visual aesthetic, my, my, my whole aesthetic of this film from the costumes to the gore to the language is going to be Quentin Tarantino. Basically. Because the Suicide Squad comics are often more on the mature slash hard R side of comics. Okay. But also when your characters are Harley Quinn and Polka Dot Man and Rick Flagg after kind of a mental breakdown, at least if you're comparing him to the last movie, there's got to be humor in there. Yeah. And I don't know that it necessarily like hung together. Yeah. But it tried something. Ooh. I will say I am someone, even for the Thor trilogy, I know people love Ragnarok. I thought Ragnarok was decent. I was not super into Ragnarok. I just felt like it was a bit too hammy. I don't know. I so, I, w- I wasn't necessarily into the humor of it. And I think this movie is kind of along the same lines. Not the humor that they mm-hmm. pull off, but I just not into the super them just going for the super obvious joke probably see i am intrigued by projects like ragnarok and i'd also say like the winter soldier i think falls under this umbrella as well which are what i call sub-genre superhero movies so they're not just straight superhero movies captain america the winter soldier is a espionage thriller that happens to be a superhero movie civil war is really a a political drama that happens to be a superhero movie Ragnarok is an absurdist comedy that happens to be a superhero movie. And this is kind of, I don't know exactly what, I keep calling it a Tarantino movie and I feel like there must be like a subgenre of that. But I feel like (laughs) that's what it is. It's like a superhero team up movie, but it also has a bunch of weird slice of life stuff. Like Polka Dot Man vomiting in the bushes, like Harley Quinn trying to figure out what she's holding the javelin for, you know, and like all these weird kind of incidental bits that don't necessarily like all go together, but at least give you something. It tries to be comic book from dusk till dawn, basically. Yeah, that's a that's a really good example, actually. It's not normal. Yeah. 
one of the first people that dies are the carryovers from the previous movies. And also, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But like, I'm not here to be pretentious about superhero movies, right? Part of what I like about this is it is a fucking comic movie. There is a giant starfish named Starro and everybody just goes, yup, I guess we got to fix that problem. I mean, it would be a problem. It's a giant starfish. So yeah. Not only is it a giant starfish, it shoots smaller starfish to attach to your face. Yes. And I think that some of what I liked about this movie, even if not all the jokes landed, even if I thought, honestly, like this is something that I noticed a lot. I noticed they said fuck a lot. And I don't usually notice that. There was a strong take here. I don't know that I necessarily love it. I think probably half an hour could have been edited out of it and it would have been a little stronger for it. But there's a strong take here. There are strong ideas. I love that the people in the boardroom gang up on Amanda Waller (laughs) because you know what? It's the right fucking thing to do. Yeah. And the reason that they team up on Waller is the same reason that the Suicide Squad wanted to go back in there. Yeah. I think, you know, if this movie has a thesis and I might be completely wrong here, just because people are bad people doesn't mean they're bad people. And that's not a terrible take for a movie like this. It's not. I would feel a little remiss if I didn't talk about Ratcatcher real quick. <laughs> okay. Because I really like her arc. Both her and Harley, but in different ways. With Ratcatcher, we got an arc where her vulnerability is not played off as weakness. Yeah. I think I've talked about this a lot. Do you have any idea how fucking refreshing that is? <laughs> When was the last time any woman in Marvel's vulnerability was a strength? Uh, 2000, never. Yeah. And for those who are going to come in and say, well, Wanda, well, Wanda's strength actually came with her controlling her emotions, not being vulnerable. So let's uh, let's reexamine that in a little bit. Okay, thanks. Bye. Harley Quinn is beautiful and radiant in her anger, right? When that guy starts talking about killing children and she just snaps, right? That is her. That is her strength. That is her power. That is her not being evil, actually. She earns her spot on the team, the superhero team in that moment, even if it's just for this one shitty situation. Yeah. This movie is all about people earning their spots on the superhero team. What other DC movie is in your mind as good as this or better or do you think this is like the best that they've given us so far i guess the first wonder woman that's really the only one i can think of that's like i even enjoyed as much okay i don't know that it's as good but or i don't know it's a very straight superhero movie yeah it is and that's not a bad thing because it does it really really well But if we're talking about the strong takes as the thing that I like about this movie, I don't know that there are any other ones that have it. And the thing that drives me crazy is like Zack Snyder's ideas are good. His execution is just not good. (laughs) The idea that like, do you really think people would embrace Superman today in a legal alien that could kill us all and is not 
the standard for American exceptionalism, he is the competition that makes it so we will never be exceptional as human beings. The idea that he would not be welcome in a modern society is good, actually. And that Batman, the billionaire, would be the one that people empathize with more because, well, I might be a billionaire someday and then I'll be like Batman. I love that take. Why did he have to make it suck so much? (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the thing. I think a lot of what you're saying, especially about the plot, the story, the characters, specifically in this movie, to what they try to mine and the stories they want to tell, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think for me, and not liking this movie, I'm... (sighs) It's so funny. Like, this is a comic book movie, but I'm not fucking with the bombast of it. And that's just me. And I, I know that I'm my opinion is a minority for that. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, man. It just, it just did not land for me. It wasn't, maybe it was a bit slicker. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't so grotesque. But then at the same time, I say that, but I know that a lot of other people like it specifically because this really is like the anti DC movie. Like, they're, they're super colorful. They, have humor the more that i'm like looking at it right now i'm watching the scene where peacemaker and uh blood sport keep trying to kill people and one-upping each other and like this is what i mean when i say that i think that there's a lot of really good scenes in here and then a lot that need five minutes cut off if this movie were a hundred minutes long i think this might be like my favorite thing ever wow that's high praise that's really but that also praise. means cutting out 45 minutes of the movie. Do we need why Polka Dot Man barfs Polka Dots? Hell yes. Are you kidding? Yes. All right. Because that that gives us some of the best jokes in the fucking thing. Now, do I think they maybe lean on that joke a few too many times? Yes. But imagine if he says in the scene with the shootout, it's really easy for me to kill people if I just pretend they're my mother. And then later he goes, my mother used to experiment on me and my siblings. I'm the only one that survived. And then at the end, they go, that's your mom. And he goes, I'm a fucking superhero. Because you know why? He didn't earn his place on the superhero team because he was still fulfilling his own vendetta. He wasn't trying to protect anybody. And that's why he died. And that's why he didn't make it to the end of the movie, because he wasn't part of the superhero team. He was still a villain, even for this one shitty situation. I felt really grossed by him. Like That's the point though. That's why he I doesn't know, make it. I know, but it wasn't I think they were trying to go it's gross, but let's make it funny. If they didn't do the joke like eight times, the visual aspect of the joke like eight times, I don't think it would be as gross. I had a visceral reaction when I first saw the bombs. I'm not going to lie. But but I, I agree. They run it into the ground. I agree with that. And I think that to me is like, that could have been cut. I loved Ratcatcher and her relationship with her father. I thought that was so fucking sweet. And I love the idea that like the rats are the lowest and the grossest creatures on the earth. If they can have purpose, then we all can. And the ones that make it through the movie are the ones who are united in their fucking purpose like the goddamn rats you like your boy popping up in there for a hot second i I do he was cute he did a good job he was an adorable ragamuffin hilarious but also like yeah they basically gave us the moral on a dish right which i usually don't like but they then did the moral also they didn't just say that 
it's like sound advice or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay or whatever. It's like ladies night or whatever. It's like wrestling or whatever. It's like parenting or whatever. It's like anime or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people coming around doing what we do best or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever. So we have this movie. How do you see this affecting DC's future? Now we have a bright movie. I mean, hell, the, the movie ends in broad daylight. It so does. like they're, they're they're clearly going for you shit it on Justice League, you shit it on, you know, Batman versus Superman. All right, let's elevate these other things to try to make a better movie. Where do you think DC goes from here? Because I mean, they tried to do it a little bit with Wonder Woman 84, and that movie fucking tanked. But what do you my, think we kind of go from here? My hope is that it gives more types of storytellers access to the toolbox, access to the toy box, and access to superhero movies, if that's the medium we've decided we're doing forever now. I kind of hope it isn't, but whatever. Like, it seems to be what's happening. So let's roll with it, right? Mm. <laughs> uh. maybe this is really dumb i'm just watching harley quinn feel pretty like she's in that dress and she has a moment where she's actually like i'm beautiful and it feels nice and this man is giving me attention and it's nice and it ends up being not great but like she gets genuine moments where she gets to feel pretty and that doesn't make her weaker yeah. And this was a movie written by a fucking man. I hope that this gets us, even if they're all fucking superhero movies, which I fucking know. <laughs> We're getting different archetypes of characters, finally. Maybe that's all this movie is good for. You know, maybe you don't like it. Maybe it's whatever. But if the merchandise sells well enough, never even mind movie tickets. We're going to get other stories about ragtag groups of folks. And I, I think- hope that we get the opportunity to get different types of folks in each of them. I do want to touch on on this kind of point that I kind of brought up. You're kind of bringing it up now as far as different kind of stories synthesized through comic book movies. And, and that's kind of the point I was kind of talking about with like Margot Robbie and Florence Pugh of like they can only tell these complex stories now will it only be through comic book movies. Like, I know there's a lot to even pose as a question to ask, like, which I'm, I mean, it's honestly, it's rhetorical, but it's like, if we kind of get all these movies through this kind of one lens, you know, I, I think that's kind of detrimental. And I mean, I, I, do. I think on some level you agree also, but I do. But, but I also think at a certain point, universe movies, I think it's going to create a, a bigger divide between mainstream Hollywood, whatever, and like independent movies right i think that's going to create a bigger a bigger divide between those things i also think a lot of things are going to become universe movies for better or for worse worse. (laughs) i'm not not necessarily comic universe movies just universe movies no Uh, yeah i know like i like ip only driven product i don't necessarily think this is a good thing but i'm going to be interested to see 
how moving projects, non-IP projects to smaller productions, to streaming, to more accessible possibly is going to affect filmmaking. And by more accessible, I also mean like possibly a lower barrier for entry for filmmakers. I think it'll be really interesting to see how these things evolve. And also I do think it's worth considering if these movies are the reason we get to keep movie theaters, make a million of them. Ooh, no, that's, that's mad strong. I don't know, man. Cause I think we're probably going to come dangerously close to even that reality of in order to have a movie that's going to pack movie theaters, it has to be just these movies, which I don't agree with you on that one. I'm very cynical. Yes, you are. I also think that these are the movies that are going to keep like the normies coming back. But again, if it keeps the theater open, they're going to show the next Wes Anderson or the next A24 or the next whatever. Right. Hopefully something has to keep the lights on. Yeah. And I don't know that people who love movies like you and I do, like Greg does, like Matthew does, like other friends of the podcast, like David Avalone, like Dan Fox. I don't know if those, you know, just us are going to be enough to keep those doors open. I mean, but that's the whole thing. Like I saw a portrait lady on fire in a small ass art house movie theater in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And the, the day, like the day that I saw it, it, it wasn't like it was a packed house and like people like trying to squeeze in. Like it was me and I think like seven old white people. So like it's it's uh, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough out here for real. Yeah. So it's the second week of August, August 9th. Mm-hmm. What do you feel about the movies? Well, new movies this year. I mean, we're, we're more than halfway through the year. You know, this was, you know, supposed to be, you know, one of the big temple movies of the year. But I think it's pretty middling as far as where I would put it in other kind of 2021 releases. I think this year has been really wonky. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of pump fakes. I'm very much looking forward to Dune. You're very much looking forward to Dune. But other than that, it's been kind of shaky. I'm not going to lie. What, what do you think yeah. about this year so far? I really haven't enjoyed much. <laughs> um, that probably I mean, sounds that's... pretty bad. I really liked Zola. I think that movie's been in the can a while, but I thought that was really excellent. The majority of the new movies I watched this year have not been from 2021, but so far I've watched probably a dozen movies. And... I mean, hey, my favorite new to me movie this year so far is Gremlins 2. So, you know, hilarious. <laughs> we're all we're all doing our best here. I think Gremlins 2 is peak cinema, and I will fight about this. Bitch, I'm telling you the truth. Let me give you three minutes on Gremlins 2. Go. Okay, so Gremlins 2 is a perfect sequel as well as a really clever satire. It is an elevation of the original while still being unique. I think that it tells a really comprehensive story. And I think that the stakes throughout the film continue to rise in a way that makes it compulsively watchable. I watched it twice in two weeks, once in like a group watch and then once just with Greg because he couldn't come to the group watch. And watching it the second time, I was, again, aware of things I wasn't aware of the first time. And I noticed things build and build and build and build and build and build. 
it feels like a bottle rocket shaking the whole time. And the tension that that movie has, despite being like a PG-13, really like family horror movie, the fact that it can hold the tension that well, I think is amazing. (laughs) I think that the aesthetics of it are fantastic. I think the fact that the main, like the main setting is a pastiche on Trump Tower is a fucking riot. I think that it holds up really well as a satire, as well as having some of the best just character interaction and character design I've seen in a really long time. I also like that in every single like scene when they're like, oh God, something's happening. There's a new fucking gremlin for it. So they're like, okay, well, as long as they don't get outside and now there's one with sunscreen and bat wings and they're like, ah, shit, he got outside. And then they're like, well, as long as there isn't one that talks and he has glasses and he talks now. And they're like, well, as long as there isn't an electric one, now there's an electric one. Well, as long as there isn't a sexy lady gremlin, shit. It continues to level up in a way that is equal parts absurd and actually threatening to the point where you look down at a scene and see a lobby full of thousands of tiny gremlins yeah and they're all friggin puppets you know that right but you look down and you see them all writhing around on the floor and you kind of go oh fuck oh shit oh fuck like if they get out oh shit oh fuck and like that's a very visceral reaction to have for a tacky 80 1990 tacky 1990 movie oh yeah i have not seen that movie since like probably 92 so i'm gonna take your word for everything you just said right now gizmo man gizmo though have you considered gizmo in this trying time everybody should be more like gizmo he is so brave and so kind and he wants to be like rambo so he gets a little headband everybody should be like gizmo brave and small (laughs) <laughs> so that <laughs> so i'm guessing you would say oh yeah you said this is the best experience you had in a movie this year so i was also a big fan of uh the can't stop the music the village people movie oh wow the very gay village people movie i mean would there be any other type of <laughs> movie for the village people <laughs> I guess Ryan the Last Dragon I really liked. Actually, I thought that was really solid. So I watched a dozen new movies this year. I technically gave Ryan the Last Dragon four stars, but mm-hmm. it's technically my highest rated movie, uh, highest rated new movie of 2021. But yeah, I have, but like this, this like just problematic movies. Like I have Judas and the Black Messiah. It's three and a half. I think, I think the movie has a lot of problems. I think that Daniel Kaluuya was excellent in his performance, but I think overall, Lakeith Stanfield way overacted it, and they didn't do enough yeah. for Fred Hampton's character. Black Widow, to me, it was just kind of super formulaic. ScarJo, after all these years you know they never really need this movie we're honest uh mortal combat is is mortal combat don't need to even think about that anymore uh, like like godzilla versus kong like it's godzilla versus kong like it's you know it's not shit on his list so i think there are a lot of kind of pump fakes this year i, I really need i think to you should be a check out movie. I think you should check out Zola when you get a chance. I don't think it's a four and a half. I gave it like three and a half. I think I'd probably bump it up to a four now, but I think you dig it. It's basically Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. If Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas were about strippers in 2015 in Tampa Bay. That's a movie where like 
women being nice to women is portrayed as this like weird mythic quality. Yeah. And like, I felt that in my bones. Oh, you know, a movie you would probably like, I can see you digging. Mm. Kajillionaire. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. I don't really know anything about it, though. So it's about this super poor, destitute family, basically trying to run schemes to kind of get over. And the woman who stars in Westworld, Evan Rachel Wood, she stars in it. Mm -hmm. And I can't really explain it beyond that. It's funny. The humor is really subtle. The ending, though, I love the ending of this movie. I think you would dig it. Uh, okay. It was on HBO Max. I don't know if it's there anymore, but I think you should check that one out. It came out technically last year. I know um, I know you're not big on animation. I think you should check out The Mitchells versus The Machines. Someone told me to check out Your Name. Have you seen that one? Yes. I really like it. I think it's really special. I also like uh, Weathering With You very much. It's very sweet. And the sweetness of it can be almost oppressive. Okay. <laughs> um, and that, that's not a bad thing. But like, if you're feeling very cynical when you start it, I can find it to be a bit chafing. Okay. The Mitchells versus the Machines is a clusterfuck and is actually my highest rated film of the year this year so far. I mean, you gave it four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I think it may be the best use of cinematic fatherhood. Abby Jacobson is a voice. Yeah. I had a question. I, of of uh, Broad City, she was definitely uh, my choice in Broad City. I'll definitely say that. I think this is probably one of the tightest and best scripts I've watched. This year or ever? I think for general movies this year, I think uh, for non-Pixar animation ever. Oh, shit. All right. Like, this is literally the first time I'm hearing about this movie, so. So it hopped onto Netflix in, like, January or February, and my dad was like, sit your ass down. Tiber said this was good. Shut off your phone. We need to watch this. And we did. <laughs> And it was really good. And then I made Greg watch it like the first weekend he came up after I Hilarious. hadn't seen him in months and months. I was like, sit your ass down, shut off your phone. We need to watch this. Hilarious. That's good, though. You know, don't judge me, but the best new to me movie I've seen this year is Casablanca. <laughs> That's fair. I've, I've just never watched it before. And I immediately know why it's the fucking bee's knees. Yeah. Michael Clayton was really good. Jacob Lott is really good. I told you I watched Secretary, right? But I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I got a call from a reader the other day, and she saw Autumn Sonata on both of our best ten lists, so she yeah. decided she'd go to see it with her husband. She said, I couldn't make head or tail of it. What was it about? Well, now, that leads me to my question. Why is it that millions of people go to see Greece and nobody goes to see our four best films, or many fewer people, anyway? Well, I don't know. I think we really love the pictures that we're talking about. That, I mean, these yes, are pictures yeah. that we care about. Uh, I don't hold any resentment against the film being successful. Some people think that's true about critics, that we hate films that are successful. No, we like those, but listen, we see a lot of pictures, and we want to see the serious stuff, too. I think too. maybe you put your finger up, because I loved Grease, too. Of course yeah. I enjoyed it. I liked Animal House. That was on my best ten list. But we see two or three hundred movies a year. Sure. Maybe we're overexposed. We want to see something different. We appreciate it when something is different. People who go four or five times a year want to see things that they expect to see. Yes, it's true. For example, I've always wanted to see John Wayne play a weakling once in a while. I don't want to see the <laughs> same. The day. You know, well, I, want, I don't want to see the same stuff over and over. Maybe that's the one time 
when the critic is a little bit different from the general audience. Maybe we're trying to stretch things out, say, go see Grease, see and Ingmar Bergman, too. That's a perfect way to say it. Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chianetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Showin Mad Love on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow our Twitter page at Cat and Mark and read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?